Thanks, Uncle Mike. Before we consider today's scripture reading and today's message, I want to share words of appreciation. Uh, thanks to everyone who's volunteering this morning. Thanks to everyone who's a part of our tech team connecting us live and online. Those of you who are watching live right now, those of you who are catching up on YouTube, podcasts, social media, all of it counts. God bless you. So thankful that you're with us today. Thanks to all of our folks who are teaching youth across the street, teaching children and adult Sunday school classes upstairs. A uh, special word of thanks to everyone who got the family up, scrubbed, ironed, and clean, and on church on time this morning. God bless you. Uh, on that note, I want to say a word of acknowledgement for Mother's Day. Uh, I want to celebrate that so many people um, experience Mother's Day as just a pure and a simple day of joy and appreciation. If that's you today, I celebrate right alongside you. Um, so thankful that you're with us. I also want to acknowledge that a lot of people experience Mother's Day in a way that makes them feel maybe left behind or unseen. Maybe their experience of being a mother or having a mother was complicated and leaves them with complicated feelings. Maybe it just didn't even work out the way that you were hoping to. And this experience culturally of Mother's Day can leave a lot of people leaning left behind. So I just want to let you know if that's you today, that you are seen and known and loved and remembered in this place each and every day. We are always your church for you. So thankful for everybody here. A quick question, apropos of nothing, I'm just curious, uh, how many of you, this is not, this is not a shame thing, um, just how many of you happened to be here at this church on Christmas Eve this year? How many of you were, happened to be here for Christmas Eve worship? Awesome. So glad you were here. Um, I had an experience of Christmas Eve services that you may not have had because we were in different uh, places. And it, it had to do with the message. And when I was remembering, when I was thinking about the message for Christmas Eve, I wanted to talk about God's miraculous work and the way that it, it seems to confound our expectations of existence, but yet it actually fits really into uh, God's creation. And I wanted to talk about quantum physics. And so I talked about quantum physics for like the first eight minutes of the sermon. And when I looked out into the sanctuary, what I saw was this. <laughs> and what I saw was a lot of uh, people going, this is weird. And it left me with the feeling of thinking, you know what I should have done at the beginning? Uh, I should have told people, this is going to get weird. <laughs> Which brings me to today. <laughs> uh, this is going to get weird. <laughs> Uh, weird even for me, um, which, uh, by the way, if, if you're a first-time visitor or guest, welcome. I'm glad you're here today. This is going to be a little bit weirder than normal. So I'll be honest, you know, I'm, I'm reading the scripture. I'm praying over it all week. And what happened in me, praying over and reflecting on this scripture all week long, was what I like to call uh, Lance's proclivity to existential angst. Anybody else? <laughs> yeah. Amen. So the question I want to ask you today is the question that I've been thinking about a lot this week, but I'll be honest with you, I think about all the time. And that's, why are we here? Why are we here? We all know why we're here on a Sunday morning, right? Our kids love Donna and want to get donuts. <laughs> that's, that's why we're here on a Sunday morning. I don't mean here in First Methodist. I don't mean here in Tarrant County. I don't mean here in the United States. I don't even mean humans. I mean, why is anything here? And you know, people who have a real materialistic understanding of creation, you know, love to distill 
our view of what is and what isn't down to things like atoms and subatomic particles and, and basic elements and basic forces and things like that. But my question is, okay, but why is that here? Our modern understanding of observing creation, which is all scientists do, they observe creation and they try to answer the questions, how? How do these things stick together? How do these things react? How do they come into being, etc.? Our best understanding of how what we see and touch and feel and know came into being reduces back to some point billions of years ago, things exploding into being. And if you're not familiar, I'm one of the preachers who helps you understand how we can observe creation and learn truths from that and how we can read sacred scriptures and experience the Christian faith and learn truths from that and how they actually work together really well. Uh, there's a sermon series on our YouTube page if you, call, if you Google, Thank God for Science. I did a whole series of helping us pull those things together. So they teach teach us together. They're not opposed to each other. Science answers the question, how? And when we ask the question, how did everything come into being? It, it reduces back to this moment billions of years ago where things come into being. But my question is not how. My question is why? Why did it come into being in the first place? Why is there something instead of nothing? And what was the nothing that existed before the thing? And what is the thing that made the something happen? What was the time before that? What was the time before time? What was the thing before things? Yeah, I know there's gravity and there's atoms and there's elements, but why? This is weird. <laughs> this is a weird way to start the message. But this is the thing that I ultimately root my faith in. My life, my understanding of God, my understanding of everything is rooted in the question, why is there something instead of nothing? Because at one point, there was nothing. There was nothing. And I don't mean a vacuum because that's still something. There's still gravity. There's still physics. There's still things that exist. There was nothing before that. And something came into being. Why? What started that? What made that? What moved that? What spoke that? What desired that? Because the fact that there is something instead of nothing means that there is intention and purpose behind it. It means that it matters. And think about how easy it is for us to consume ourselves, our time, our focus, our energy on things that we know subconsciously will ultimately amount to nothing. Every building that has ever been built or will ever be built will one day crumble into the sea. At one point, the lives and the stories and the memories of every person that's ever lived Right? Siddhartha Gautama, who people call Buddha, or Charlemagne, or Mother Teresa, or great people who live thousands of years from now, at some point, not only will every living person who's ever heard their story die, but every piece of hardware that has their story encoded into it in ones and zeros will cease to function. It will come to an end. Every great piece of artwork that's ever been made someday will be gone. The planet on which we stand someday will be gone. Welcome to my existential angst. <laughs> How do we walk around and not think about this all the time? We're just ordering tater tots at Sonic. Why aren't we thinking about existential angst? 
I had a very weird experience at Sonic this week. <laughs> but we do. Creation does. We all do. And because we do, we matter. There is a purpose. And living in connection with that purpose is the only thing that matters. That's what we're talking about today. The sermon series I'm in right now is called The Greatest Good News, and one of the things that I'm trying to highlight is the understanding that there's more good to the gospel than we realize at first glance. In fact, it's possible to have heard the gospel many times and realize there's more to it. It's possible to hear the story of Jesus and his life and his death and his resurrection throughout your entire childhood and young adulthood and someday to realize there's more to it. It is possible to give your life into ordained ministry, to go to graduate school, to read and to write about the nature of Christ, his love for you and his work in your life over and over and over again and to teach the gospel and to preach the gospel and to baptize and to bury and to still decades later realize there is more than you ever ever thought possible, captured inside of this good news and proclaimed by it. The good news is greater than you think right now. There's more to it. That's what we've been talking about. And in order to understand what's happening in this text, we have to understand that Paul is giving us answers. Pauling is giving, Paul is giving us good answers. Paul is giving us exciting answers. Paul is giving us enthusiastic answers. Paul is giving us life-changing answers. The issue is, do you know what the problem is? Because if you don't know the problem that he's describing, you'll never understand how good the solution is that he's illuminating. In order to understand the problem, you have to understand the purpose the reason that you're here today, the reason that you're alive, the reason that the people of Rome are alive, the reason that humanity ever came into existence, the reason there's an earth, the reason there's a solar system, the reason billions of years before that there were clouds of gas being pulled together by gravity so that someday we might be here hearing this. There's a purpose. The reason that there is something instead of nothing is because something exists outside of everything that we can taste or touch or see or feel. There's something that exists outside of our understanding of time through which we travel linearly. There's something that exists outside of our fundamental orientation with the world. And in fact, it's truer than anything else. It's more material. It's more foundational. It's more real than anything else that we spend our time thinking about or looking at, tasting or touching. For those of you who struggle with it, that's what we call God. That is God. And before we were, God was. Before creation was, God was. Before existence was, God was. Before the big banged, God was. And the reason that it even came into being at all is because God is Trinity. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is a relationship of persons bound together by perfect love. And if it doesn't make sense to you, that's okay because it doesn't exist like you do. But it's revealed to us that that is who God is. 
and God's perfect understanding of God's self. And the byproduct of God's purpose love is more love to be shared and to be spread. And that is why God spoke creation into existence in the first place. That is why something emerged from nothing. Something emerged from nothing because God is perfect love. And the byproduct of perfect love always and everywhere is always more love. God spoke creation into existence so that that same relationship that existed amongst God could also exist amongst God and God's creation. But here's the deal. We all know that in order for perfect love to exist, everyone and everything has to be free. You can't force anyone to love you. You can't compel them to love you. You can't make them love you. You cannot reduce from them their freedom and their agency and their will and receive their love because then you're receiving nothing at all. And so God made creation to be free. The freedom of that creation existed and grew and formed so often in line with God's will and so often not. At some point, a portion of God's creation became mature enough, aware enough to begin asking questions like, why are we here? Why is there something instead of nothing? And if there is something, there must be a purpose behind it. So we began making up stories in our own image. And they were full of the things that we do to each other every day. The stories of creation were about capriciousness and violence. They were about territorialism. They were about being, about being wronged and wronging others in return for the sake of superiority and for glory. And at one point, the one who spoke us into being, who compelled all of creation into existence for the purposes of perfect love, began to reveal God's self to us and say, that's not who I am at all. The reason that there is something instead of nothing is my perfect love. And to explain it to you, I can't use imagery like quarks or neutrons or gravitational waves. Instead, I'll speak to you in the language that makes sense. And I'll say, in the beginning. And I'll try to help you understand about the purpose and the plan and the reason for why you are. And it's all about living in relationship with me. And you have gone far astray. You have used the freedom that you had to be given. And over and over again, you have used it for purposes that look nothing like me. You have used that freedom over and over again for violence, for hatred, for greed, for injustice, for pain, for loss. Over and over and over again, you have driven yourselves farther and farther and farther from me. Let me teach you who I actually am so that maybe you have a chance. This revelation that was happening through God's people Israel was never designed to make a perfect people. It was to start humanity on a path to try to learn what it is to actually live in perfect relationship with the one who brought us into existence. But it was always leading in one direction. It was always leading to the point where God would come alongside us. And stop and think about that because every human community everywhere else had an understanding of existence 
and had an understanding of alienation from that which brought us into existence. They had an understanding that things aren't the way that they should be, and every other human community came up with the answer, well, we have to sacrifice something. We have to give up something. We have to make right what we made wrong, and we can never fully do it, so we're always left chasing that open-ended question of what can we do now to finally be worthy? And the God who breathed everything into existence said, you can't. You can't. You've gone too far. You've made up too much distance between you and me. You can't do it. You can't behavior change your way into this. You can't five simple steps into getting better with this. You can't on your own power and under your own intelligence just live perfectly by yourself. You can't. And our story is the story of the God who did not demand sacrifices. Is the story of the God who did not tell us to be better. From a God who did not remain distant from us, but who instead joined us, came alongside us, and like we've prayed every single gathering service we've ever had, not to condemn us or to push us away, but to walk with us so that we might be healed and restored to the purpose that we were made for in the first place. And because we are, there was a purpose behind it. And in this state of sin and wrong and distance and hurt, there was nothing that we could do about it. And what Paul is trying to help us understand is not only did the life and the death and the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ Jesus give you something called justification, Justification is the big fancy church word in that scripture that means made right with, that means made good with, that means any distance has been overcome, any wrong has been righted, anything that stands in between has been eliminated. That's what justification means, and it's always good news. It means standing in the defendant's box and being worthy of being proclaimed guilty. You are instead called totally and completely and forever innocent, not because you deserve it, but because that's what he desires to say for you. Not only did that happen, not only has that happened, and not only can you receive that by nothing more than faith and trusting in it, but it happened at the perfect time. This is where I want to pull our scripture reading back up today. I want us to read this together. It's Romans 5, verse 8. It happened at the perfect time, not just for you, but for you. Not just for your friends, but for your friends. Not just for your children, but for your children. Not just for your parents, but for your parents. But for every person who's ever lived anywhere. Read these words together with me, would you? But God proves his love for us in that while we still were sinners... Christ died for us. Imagine these words. Imagine these words. But God proves his love for us in that while we had successfully tithed to the church for 20 years, Christ died for us. God proves his love for us that when we finally purged ourselves of our addictions, Christ died for us. God proves his love for us that when we had finally started treating our neighbors, particularly the lost and the lonely, the hurting and the different, with Christ-like perfect love, then Christ died for us. God proves his love for us that while we were at our worst, 
while we were at our most lost, while we were at our most violent, while we were at our most numb, while we were at our most selfish, while we were at our most distracted, when we were at our most self-medicated, when we were at our most alienated, Christ died for us. The question that people have, why are we here? Why is there something instead of nothing is rooted in the fact that the one who exists outside of the material and outside of time is love and desired that you are for the sake of living in perfect love together with God. And you could never do it on your own. I could never do it on my own. And no one that you've ever seen or will see is capable of being good enough and pure enough and right enough to deserve to live in real relationship with that God. But Jesus, God with us, came alongside you, not to condemn you or to push you away, but so that through his life and his death and his resurrection, you could live into the very purpose for which you are here, the only thing that actually matters. And in your mind, silently, you say, not with the way that I treated them, not with what I did to my body, not with what I did to theirs, not with the way I've wasted these blessings, not with the way I threw away those years, not with the experiences of that broken relationship, not with that lostness, not with that anger, not with that hurt, not with that division. And while you were at your worst, and it may even yet be to come, at that moment, that perfect moment, that pure moment, that singular moment at your worst, Christ died for you so that you would never doubt and could always trust and forever know that this justification, that this reconciliation, this answer to the biggest problem you might not have even considered has been won. Every one of us walked in here today thinking about a battle about a fight, about a difficulty. But the biggest one that could possibly exist has already been won for you. How does that free you up? How does that change you? How does that save you? How does that encourage you going from this place? Only one thing actually matters. Every company someday will no longer exist. Every person at some point will have their time on this earth come to a close. Every organization will reach the end of its life. Every neighborhood and every home will fall into the sea. There is one thing that actually matters and actually lasts forever. And because of Jesus, You've got exactly what you need. Who does that free you up to be? Let's pray. Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior, the answer to the problem we might not have even considered. God, when we sit back and ask, why are we here? Why is anything here? The only answer that could possibly be true is because of your desire for relationship with us. 
Lord, in order for us to love you, you give us freedom. Because we are just people, we use that freedom to run farther and farther from who you made us to be. Thank you, God, for in Jesus, closing whatever gap we think exists between you and us. God, help us to rejoice in your salvation, maybe for the 1,000th time, maybe for the first time ever today. Guide us, keep us, help us to live in the good news of Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray the words that he taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.